Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Now those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So that's Amos 5.24. That's one of the verses that uh, is the most quoted in the entire like teaching and, and ministry of Martin Luther King Jr., and, and rightfully so. It's... It's where Amos imagines God's justice filling the earth like this, like rushing waters, like this mighty flood washing away injustice. And that's what Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1963. That was in, okay, Washington in 1963. We're here in Hamilton, Ontario in, in 2022, almost 60 years later. And I wonder, how are we doing? How are we doing at justice? What have we learned in, in this time? You know, most of us aren't going to be a Martin Luther King Jr., and that's fine, okay? But you are called, I am called, we are called to do justice and to love righteousness. And here this morning is a passage that helps us to imagine what it looks like. It's the same passage that inspired Martin Luther King those years ago, Amos chapter 524. Now, we're continuing this morning through our series in the book of Amos. This set of studies is called No Justice, No Peace. Amos speaks to the city. And each week, what we've been doing is we've been trying to see how God actually cares, like the God of the universe cares what happens in a city. Like in light of what God has done for us in Jesus, he actually cares about how we relate to our city. Isn't that mind-blowing? But it's true, and we've been seeing that as we've gone through this, this series. Uh, last week when we were together, we asked the question, what does Amos have to say about the problem of evil in Hamilton? Like, to what degree are the things that we see going on in Hamilton, like, is that God's judgment? Are we being punished? Today, we are invited to, to use our imagination. This morning, we're, uh, we're, we're asking, what's it going to look like? Like, how is it going to actually become on earth as it is in heaven? Like, if, if God's justice is coming to Hamilton and over every other city, 
do we have a role in that? Like, what is our part? How are we going to join him in that? And, and, it's, and like, where in the world do we get started? How do we get started? I'll begin with a couple of definitions. I think that's a kind of a good way to, to begin. I just want to be sure that we're speaking the same language. And so there's um, a couple of kind of non-technical definitions I'll give us here. The first is a definition of righteous. Righteous is what we call a moral person, okay? When you care about what God cares about, like if you, if you care about more about people than you care about things, that's righteousness. If the way that you are on Sundays corresponds to how you live the rest of the week, that's righteousness. And justice is related. Justice is when there is so much righteousness that barriers are gone and people can flourish. Okay, that's what justice is. In fact, you could say that justice is the point of righteousness. Justice is the point of righteousness. God cares a lot about justice and righteousness. He cares so much about righteousness that he sent his son Jesus to die in order to buy some for us. Okay? He cares so much about justice that he is going to remake the world in order that there will be some finally. That's how much he cares about justice and righteousness. And this has always been at the core of the gospel. This has always been what Christianity has, has believed and taught. That's why I really love this quote from uh, a pastor in Chicago. His name's Charlie Dates. Listen to this. He says, this is what makes the claim of the gospel so scandalous. It's that we who are sinners are now, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, made righteous before God and have peace with God. We have been justified. That is... Righteousness has been credited to our sin-depleted accounts. He says, at the cross, God got justice, and we got righteousness. So now in the church, we who are righteous ought to be found fighting for justice. Throughout the scripture, the notions of justice and righteousness are not to be separated. So why have we? You might say, when we think about, like, how, what does this look like? How does justice and righteousness happen? How does it come? You might say it happens at one of three levels. The first level at which justice comes is at the personal level. As at the personal level, at the individual level, this is, we, we, this is individual because it's really hard to love, like, a people group, like an abstract co concept, like the poor. It's hard to love the, the, the poor uh, as, a, as, an, as, a, as a concept. It's hard to love the living. It's hard to love, you know, like the middle class. It's hard to love these groups. You know what I mean? So we don't love most of us. We don't love in the abstract. We love friends. We love neighbors. We love people that we know. And sometimes in life, you find yourself face to face with these people and somebody is in a rough spot and you don't know what to do, but you can do something about it. Well, that's an opportunity for personal justice, for individual justice. I remember the first time that I was involved in a, in a personal justice situation. I was with my mom, actually. I was very little. I might, be, might have been six or seven years old. And we're walking downtown uh, along King William Street, going, going shopping as we did most Saturday afternoons. And this morning in particular, mom, I don't know if you remember this, but like uh, this morning in particular, we're walking and there's this old man who had fallen and hit his head on the ground, apparently, because he was bleeding from his head. And I'd never seen anything like that. And I was really confused and I was really scared. But mom 
leads me over there. We, we walk over, we pick him up and help him to sit down and get his wounds cleaned. And, and mom sits with him and calls 911 at the payphone because we didn't have smartphones in those days. Goes to the payphone, calls 911, and she stays with him until the paramedics arrive. Now, my mother had never met this man before, but she looked after him. And she, in fact, she was as much a mother to that old man in that moment as she was to me. And I never forgot that. That always kind of stuck with me. It, it, was, it was crazy. I had no idea what to do. I was just a kid, but mom knew what to do. And, and or it seemed like she knew what to do, but maybe she actually didn't. Because in some ways you find yourself in a situation like that and you really just have to respond. You react and you go, either I'm going to step over this guy on the way to the place I'm going. Like I'm either going to walk around this guy and go to the department store there. And my kid is going to check out the toy department. Or we can stop and help him. We can stop and we can do something about it. And she did. Like, what else are you going to do in a situation like that? So that's when it's personal justice. There's another level at which justice happens. It's at the social level. It's at the, the systemic level. This is where we recognize that sometimes the problems that we face are not the result of one person's individual choices, but the result of a system that's become corrupt and has become broken. And this is really tricky because those systems are usually invisible. You know what I'm saying? They're usually invisible. You can't see a system. You can just see the results of a system. So for example, when you're driving around downtown or sometimes uptown, and if you see a homeless encampment uh, around the city, what you see are some, some dudes in a, in a tent. And you're like, why would anybody choose that? That's what you can see. What you can't see is how they've been priced out as renters and as homeowners by their landlords, because there is this race among wealthy landowners in Hamilton to buy up all the properties. And that's a system. That's an example of a system. About a year ago, maybe some of you saw when there was a protest down at Gore Park and a bunch of protesters got together and they pulled down the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald. And you saw lawlessness and you saw outrage and you were upset about it. That's what you saw. What you didn't see is how Generations of policies that were begun by Sir John A. Macdonald and others have caused and continue to cause First Nations folks in Canada to suffer, to be disproportionately represented in the jails, on the streets, in addictions, and, and, and so on and so forth. And that's a system, okay? We don't see sweatshop workers. We don't see sweatshops because they're on the other side of the world. What we see are the clothes that we can buy in stores. We don't see the virtual like slave conditions on which people work in you know, Colombia or Ethiopia to harvest coffee beans. We don't see that. What we see is the coffee that we get to drink and, and buy for a couple of bucks. That's a system. So these are examples of systemic justice. So there's individual justice, there's systemic justice. And a third space, I think, where justice happens that we need to be aware of, because it's important in, in the book of Amos, is religious justice or spiritual justice. And at this level, this is where we are removing barriers. We're taking man-made barriers and getting them out of the way so that people can worship God authentically, okay? And sometimes those obstacles might be false teaching. It might be a bad leader. It might be an immature leader. It might be division in a church. It might be hypocrisy in a church or legalism or something like that. Where there's religious justice in a faith community, that's a place where there's no contradiction between what people think they believe or what they say they believe and how they live it out. Like there's no contradiction between who these people are when they're together on Sunday and who they are the rest of the week. 
That's religious justice. And you know, in our culture, we've become aware about more and more churches with a toxic culture where there's, where there's no religious justice. And you probably could think of some examples of that. Many of you have heard of the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. How many people have heard that? This tells the story of a large church, a mega church in Seattle, whose pastor was abusive and narcissistic. And so the church just like fell apart and it was a disaster. Not only did the church fall apart though, but people were harmed. So closer to home, some of you have heard of, about the awful things going on at the meeting house. At the meeting house for 20 odd years, they positioned themselves as a church for people who aren't into church. In fact, I often felt like I was being made fun of, like more conservative or, or even traditional churches are being kind of panned by, by uh, their, their ministry. Meanwhile, their pastor for years was sexually abusing people in his church. At least three women that we know of. And, and the thing is this, by all appearances, the situation at the meeting house and the situation at Mars Hill was just amazing. Like it just, it, it looked like they were just nailing it as far as church goes. It looked like religious justice. Things were slick. They had a really great, you know, polished worship service, highly produced. They had thousands of people in the room and except that behind closed doors, it was corrupt and broken and there was real evil, not justice, not justice. So you see that there are these different levels at which justice happens. There's personal justice, there's social and systemic justice, and there's religious justice. And, and in case you're wondering, most people aren't good at all three. Okay, so many of you, you would see this list of the different levels of justice, and you'd be like, you know what, I actually, I have some awareness about issues at this level, I'm, I'm taking some steps to make things better in, in that level. So you might feel like you're doing a an okay job in one or two of those levels. Most people are doing okay in one of them. Some people, like if you're a rock star, you're doing well in two of them, but almost nobody is functioning and, and doing justice in all three levels, okay? Do you, are you with me on that? How many of you feel like you, when you look at those, those three levels, you're like, I've got some awareness, I'm taking some steps in at least one of those, yeah, right? Okay, now, coming back to Amos, in ancient Israel, they are blowing it at all three. Because at the individual level, what we see going on is that there are these people in authority, in verse 12, there are these people in authority who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and who turn aside the needy at the gate. So these, there are these individual, these, these uh, maybe they're elders, maybe they're sort of like law enforcement or police or something like that. But imagine that you're a poor farmer, okay? You're just doing your best to scrape out a living. And your, you know, one of your cows goes missing, one of your bulls goes missing, and your neighbor, it turns out, is the one who took it. He took your cow, and you would love to be able to get in touch with, the, with law enforcement, except that that neighbor has bribed the police, and so he can't be arrested. There's the only recourse you have to take him to, to court is not available because he's bribed everybody involved. So there's, that's the situation. There's no personal uh, justice. Part of the situation is that they're also failing at systemic justice or social justice. Like in this culture, clearly the system is failing. The, the legal system itself is broken. And we see that because in verse 10, as a culture, as a community, they, they hate honest judges. They hate honest witnesses. And that means that the legal system itself is broken. It's corrupt. 
And I don't know if you know this or not, but in a, in a place, in a culture where you can't trust the police, where you can't trust the legal system, where law can be bought and sold for a price, that's a failed state. And there's no justice. There's no systemic justice there. So that's a problem for Israel too. How about religious justice? Well, this one seems to be the worst of all. God would say, when it comes to religious justice, you know what he would say about Israel? He'd say they stink. Truly, like not, not exaggerating. He says they stink. They, he says, I hate this. I hate it. I despise your gatherings. He says, I can't stand the stench of it. I won't accept it. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. So this is a picture of God. Is, is like his hands are over his ears and he refuses to listen because there's this massive contradiction between who these people pretend to be when they're at the temple or when they're at the synagogue and who they are the rest of the week. And they are, through the week, they're worshiping these false gods. And in fact, those are their named at the end of the chapter. They worship these other idols and they think that if they show up for 90 minutes or two hours at temple uh, on, on Saturday, that's going to impress God. And he's like, no, stop it. Like, get this away from me. I want nothing to do with this. So even at the level of Israel's worship, there is no justice. There's no justice. Now, let's just pause here for a minute and just, just realize something, okay? Because we've seen this a few times in the, the book of Amos already. God cares about what happens in a city. Like that is, I hope that is super clear by now. He chooses to care a great deal about the attitudes and the actions of people, his people in a city. And he doesn't have to. Like he's God. He's got a lot of things on his plate. And he chooses to care about what happens at the gate of the city. He cares about it when somebody takes a bribe in the city. He cares about the rule of law in a city. He cares about how the poor in a city are treated. He cares about what goes on in a city. I hope you see that. In fact, he cares so much that he's going to respond. And he speaks up in verse 24. And God says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let me say that again. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And it will. It will. And it does. Amos is here. He's painting this picture that justice and righteousness roll over us like waters. It's like he's imagining the earth bathed in justice. All right? God doesn't say, here, I'm going to give you these steps to follow. And when you do that, that's when there's going to be justice. No, he gives us a picture. It's a picture. He invites us to use our imagination. He's going to take the earth. He's going to throw it into the deep end of his justice. And justice will wash over us. I was paused here because I just think it's so cool that of all the mornings when we could have been looking at this passage, this is the morning where we're studying this passage about letting justice roll down like waters. Like on the day that we're going to be baptizing uh, five followers of Jesus, here's a picture of God, and he is going to baptize the earth in justice. Baptizing the earth in justice. That is what's going on in, in Amos 5.24. In fact, I really appreciate, there's a scholar named Herbert uh, Marbury, uh, who's a professor. He, he makes a connection between the waters of justice here in Amos 5 and the waters of creation, those chaotic waters of creation. And Herbert Marbury says, to describe the character of this justice, Amos reaches all the way back to the Genesis story. 
To represent an overwhelming and unimaginable justice, Amos chooses an equally unimaginable image. He calls for justice, which surges like the primordial waters of creation. That's how the prophet imagines justice. That's how it's going to happen. In a sense, this is something that we look forward to in the future, okay? We look forward to the day of the Lord. That's how the Old, Test Old Testament describes it. The day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment. And for many people, it's going to be awful. It would be dishonest of me to pretend it wasn't. It's going to be awful for many people. In fact, there's some dark humor in this passage. I don't know if you caught it during the scripture reading, but here's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. He says, it's going to be like a man who fled from a lion, verse 19, only to find a bear. And then he gets away from the bear and he's like, Phew. he gets inside his cottage and he leans against the wall and a snake bites him on the hand. That's what it's going to be on the day of the Lord for the, for the wicked, for the evil. It's going, there's going to be no escape. So that's a, that's a situation. That's something to expect in the future. There's also a, a present dynamic here. There's, there's a sense in which the wave of justice has begun. Before Jesus was arrested, in John chapter 12, he says, he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And, when, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now that is a huge statement. That is a huge declaration from Jesus himself. The cross itself, which was about to happen, is a judgment. The cross itself is not only where God is forgiving sins, and it is. It's not less than that, but it's so much more. It is where God is announcing judgment on evil. He is sentencing the devil. He is breaking down barriers so that he can draw all people to himself. Do you see that he's drawing all people to himself? He's drawing the rich and the poor. And he's drawing the you know, white-collar and blue-collar people. He's drawing housed and unhoused people to himself. He's drawing addicts and non-addicts to himself. He is drawing all people to himself. He is flattening the sort of social and cultural hierarchies that we've built up in our culture because they don't matter to him. And so he draws all people to himself. That's justice, my friends. That's justice. And he did that at the cross. And it's, it, was like, it was like the beginning of a wave that goes out and it grows and it spreads and, and, and increases in speed and size. And that wave is something that we are caught up in. That's the picture that Amos gives us. Now, when I turned 40, my family gave me the gift of a trip, and I went to Mexico for all kinds of reasons I could tell you about later, but I got to go to Mexico. It was amazing. And I basically spent five days in the ocean. I got to spend five days in the Pacific, which is my happy place, okay? I, for some of it, I was on the beach reading, reading books. I did some surfing as well. In the evenings, I would just like float on my back and stare up at the sky and like just hum hymns. And it's just me and God just floating peacefully. And that was amazing. But my favorite thing to do in the ocean was to just stand there, plant my feet, and I'm staring down uh, an eight, 10 foot wave of the most beautiful emerald green salt water that you've ever seen. And it's coming straight at me. And just before the wave hits, I do the only thing that you can do in a moment like that. I say a little prayer, mirror my God to thee. <laughs> and uh, I hold my breath and I close my eyes and I jump up and I just let it take me. And it's like, I'm a rag doll. I'm like a little tiny kid. 
and I'm not a tiny kid, but it's like I am because this raw power of the wave picks me up and tosses me and flips me around and carries me wherever it wants to take me. I love it. And I know that I'm safe. I know that God has me in that moment. And sometimes I end up maybe 10 meters or 20 meters away from where I started. Sometimes the wave takes me all the way to the shore. Sometimes the wave takes me and I'm, I end up crashing into some teenagers who are, you know, playing Frisbee or something. And they look at this, you know, old 40 year old guy and they're like, gross, get out of here, old man. And uh, it just, it takes me where it will. And I don't know where it's going to take me, but I know that it's going to be good. And that's how Amos sees God's justice. It rolls down over the earth. It rolls down over all the pride and all the greed and all the consumerism and all the materialism and all the violence and all the war, and it leaves behind justice and righteousness. And if we let it carry us, that's how we're going to see justice done. That's how we'll see justice done, even here in Hamilton, even here in Hamilton. I'm going to tell you a secret, okay? I'm not good at justice. I'm not good at doing justice. One of the reasons that I love this vision of justice in Amos is because if I had to guess, most of us would say the same. Isn't that true? Most of us would say, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to justice. I don't know where to start. It's an area where we, where we need help. In our culture, what we basically do is we wait until we have mastered that concept before we go out and try it. Okay? We master it. We learn it. We get training. We take a course. And then we go out and we do it. And we think, well, maybe justice should be the same. After all, we're not Martin Luther King Jr. What can we do? Where do we start? These problems are so big. The, they run so, so deep. The systems are so broken. And so what does it look like for us to do justice? And I actually don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you a secret. Neither did Martin Luther King Jr. He didn't know what he was doing either. He, he didn't set out to do justice. He didn't wait until he had mastered it. He found himself in it, caught in the wave, and he surrendered to it. And I'm just like, what if, what if that's what Amos sees for us? What if that's what he sees for, his, for God's people? What if, what if justice isn't something that we do? What if justice is something that we surrender to like waves, and we don't know where justice is going to carry us, but if we will be present if we will be honest and available, if we will show up and if we will, then, then we might find, we will find ourselves in these spaces where even though we don't know what to do, we know that we can do something. Like, I don't know what to do in a situation where I'm faced with somebody who needs help. I don't know what to do, but I can, but what I can do is think, well, what would I want if that were me? What would I hope somebody does if, if that were me? And we can do something. So let me share some stories about that, just to illustrate that as, as we uh, begin to wrap up. What I'd like to actually do is kind of a, a call and response. And we don't do this a whole lot, but I'd appreciate it if we can do a bit of call and response here. I'm going to share a little story just to illustrate what it can look like as we let justice roll down. What I'm going to say at the end of each story is I'm going to say, let justice roll down. And I'm going to ask you to respond with, let justice roll down like waters. Can we try that right now? Let justice roll down. Let justice roll down like waters. So one day I'm on the street with my, I'm walking down James Street North with my kids, uh, and there on the sidewalk is a guy with, with a cup. He's clearly, you know, homeless, and he's clearly in trouble. He's got a cup, and he asks the question, you know what he's going to ask, you got any spare change? Now, I don't carry cash in, by choice. I don't carry cash, I don't carry change, and so what I was able to say is, no, I don't have any spare change, but um, have you eaten today? 
like, could we get you some lunch? And he was so humbled. He said, absolutely. Thank you. That'd be so great. I went, I took our, our three kids. We went inside the Eaton Center, the, the, um, the Hamilton City Center, and we went to the food court. The kids picked out some food for this guy to eat. We bought him a hot meal. We brought it back to him, and he was so grateful. He was so grateful. Now, did we fix poverty? Did we get this guy a home? No, of course not. But it's something. And there was just a little more justice there than there was before. And I think that that's kind of how this thing works, I think. Okay? We let justice roll down, friends. Let justice roll down like waters. Another time, this is not too long ago, I'm walking in through Gage Park, and, and here is a, a purse that's left behind on the park bench, and there's stuff strewn about, and right beside the purse is this empty bottle of vodka, okay? And there's nobody around. Clearly, somebody left this behind, and, and there's a story behind that, obviously. I'm there with Heather. We go and, and, and have a look, and I open the purse, and I tried, I'm trying to find some ID, and based on the ID, it, the purse clearly belongs to a woman who's First Nations. Okay, belongs to a woman who's native. And it seems to me, oh man. So I hope I'm wrong, but one of two things happened here. Either this woman was drunk and she walked away from her purse and left her cash and her ID inside, which seems unlikely. Or somebody in the park saw that there's a drunken native and they called the police. And the police came and they took her away without her purse. Well, I, I brought it home. I tried to find her on, on Facebook and social media. Didn't get any kind of response. And what I, I guess the reason I brought it home is I wanted to meet her in person. I wanted to support her some way. I, wanted, I just felt like I could do a better job of blessing this woman than I could if this purse was sitting in a police locker somewhere. That's kind of how I felt. And finally, out of the blue, she messages me and she's so grateful that I, I have the purse. And it, she confirmed that exactly what I thought happened is, is what happened. And she says, it's like God brought us together. She's so grateful. And it turns out that this purse belonged to her grandmother and she's getting ready to go to rehab. And what do I think of that? And I'm like, girl, you got this. You are gonna, you are gonna nail this. So she goes. In fact, her parents come to pick up the purse and I meet them. We have a great little visit and we get to chat and stuff. They get the purse, they bring it back to her. She's so grateful and she goes to rehab. She messages me later. She's like, dude, I'm sober 38 days. Then I'm sober, Mike, 60 days I'm sober. 90 days sobriety, Mike, can you believe it? Mike, I've been sober 100 days. Can you believe it? Isn't God good? She wants to come to church. Now, did we end systemic racism? No, we didn't end systemic racism. We didn't bring justice for our indigenous neighbors. No, but that's where justice carried us that day. And I didn't know what to do, but sometimes you when you don't know what to do, you can still do something. And so we let justice roll down, my friends. Let justice roll down like waters. By the way, I don't always get this right, okay? I don't always nail it when it comes to justice. At my last church, our, the busiest Sunday in our sort of ministry season is what's called Welcome Back Sunday. It happens, on, happens in September. It's bananas. There's so many things going on. There's a bouncy castle. It's meet the staff. There's games and face painting and food. And it's a ministry fair. And as a pastor there, I had a whole huge list of things that I needed to get done. And I arrived nice and early because of all the things I had to get done that morning. Well, stepping out of my van, and here's this guy walking toward me. Doesn't appear to be homeless or in, in trouble, except that he's got an armful of bags of groceries. And he doesn't have a car. He can't afford a taxi, as he explains. He, he doesn't have any bus fare. 
but he says he lives close enough to downtown that he'd just so appreciate it if I could run him home. He's just downtown. Could I quickly take him home? And I'm like, this is not the day, man. But I agreed, because what are you going to do? So I took him. I, we got in my van, and we started driving east from, from Bay Street, okay? So if you're from Hamilton, Bay Street at Maine. We start driving there, making my way east, and I'm thinking, we might, we'll get to downtown. I'll let him out. I'm not going to lose a lot of time here. So at James Street North, we, I'm, I'm like, are we close? Is this, is, are we at your, at your place yet? He goes, no, it's just a bit further. Okay, we keep going past James Street. We pass John Street and then Wellington Street. We pass, we get to Wentworth Street. And by now I'm, I'm getting suspicious. I'm like, dude, you said you live downtown. Are you sure? Are we getting close here? Or he's like, no, I, do, I, I promise it's just a little bit further. We pass Sherman, okay? We pass Sherman and then Gage Street which is like here, and uh, I'm panicking at this point. Like, dude, this is not, I'm like, I'm, I'm panicking. And he says, I promise it's just a little bit further. I swear, it's just a little bit further. We keep going past Ottawa Street, past Kenilworth. At this point, I'm freaking out. I'm furious. And he's like, I, I swear, it's just a little bit further. Guess where he takes me? Guess where he leads me? Gray's Road, past the Value Village in Stony Creek. That's the place where he needed a ride to. And, uh, and I'm like, God, are you serious? Today, like this is the day this guy needed a ride. And, uh, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, I hope that this guy pulls a knife on me because that way when I murder him, I get to say it was self-defense. So I confess, I was not thinking very sanctified thoughts in that moment. I don't know if it was justice that I did that day, because I do think the heart matters. I don't know if that was justice, but that's where the waves carried me that day. All right. And so I, I let justice roll down. One more. Then another time it's a, it's a, it's a Sunday. We've just finished word and table. We're beginning cleanup and I go into the kids space room. It's about 1130 and there's David, one of our elders, one of our board members. And there's David and he's sitting with a guy I'd never seen before. And apparently this guy came in off the street because this particular morning, our side door happened to be left open. And this guy came in and he's sitting at the table and he's talking to David and David's listening. And David asks him if they can share communion together. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And that's when I walked in. Here are these two grown men sitting across the table from each other, like they've known each other their whole lives. And one is crying because it's the first time that he's been treated like a person in a church. And somebody's listened to him and listened to his story and didn't try to fix him. And they're sharing communion. Did that fix intolerance? Did that fix prejudice? No, of course not. But that day, the waters of justice carried us to that place. That's where it set us down. And David had a choice to make. Well, what am I going to do? Kick him out? Ask him to leave because he, because he was late for church? No, David surrendered. Just like any of us, I think, would. We let justice roll down, let justice roll down like waters. Listen, in all of these situations, nobody in the culture would judge you. Nobody would criticize you or nobody would blame you if you were to say, hey, I'm busy. Nobody would blame you if you're like, I've got problems of my own. Nobody would blame you if you said, like, this is really triggering for me, you know. Nobody would blame you if you're like, but I, I might make a mistake. I might do it wrong. Okay, fine, fine, gotcha. I like, totally understand. However, 
Imagine that God's justice isn't a thing you do. It's not your responsibility to fix injustice. Imagine that God's justice is waters that carry us and wash away injustice. Imagine that justice isn't a thing for us to master any more than we would expect to master the waves of the sea. We don't master it. We surrender to it. We let justice carry us where we're needed. We can trust him with that. We can. And we let justice roll down, my friends. Let justice roll down like waters. Let me pray for us. and We'll transition to communion. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.